0: Chapter 7, verse 1. Jerubbaal, that is Gideon. Now notice how the narrator switched it now. It was Gideon who has now been called Jerubbaal. Now it's Jerubbaal who is called Gideon. Because the narrator is letting you know that this is really about a spiritual warfare polemic. This is really about the polemic with Baal. Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and his men got up the next morning and camped near the spring of Harad. The Midianites were camped north, of them near the hill of Moriah in the valley. And Yahweh said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to hand Midian over to you. Israel might brag, Our own strength has delivered us. Now announce to the men, Whoever is shaking with fear may turn around and leave Mount Gilead. Now, God says, You're going to test me? I got my own test. (laughs) See, here's what God is doing. God's original command was... To defeat it all by himself. So God says, you're not by yourself. You've got too many men. So, because I gave you a command and I expect you to obey it, I'm going to whittle your army down big time. Why? So that, what does Yahweh say? So, know so Yahweh cannot brag that it was their own strength. They will know that Yahweh was with them. Here, Yahweh makes it very clear... Why in the world is God commanding Gideon to do it by himself? Not just because Yahweh is with him and he can do it by himself with God with him, but that everybody else will know. This is important. So Jeru Baal, who is also called Gideon, which means this is really about Baal versus Yahweh, Yahweh responds to that and says, I want everybody to know that I am the true God. Why am I whittling your army down? One, because you didn't obey me by doing it by yourself. And two, because you've been doing a really poor job of giving glory to me to everybody. Not once have you really demonstrated that I'm superior to all other things. But now you're going to. And just like Moses, I don't care what you say, Moses. You're going to do it and you're going to thank me in the end. Now he's going to drag Gideon into it. You have no choice, Gideon. I'm going to whittle it down. So, Gideon has 32,000 men. And God says, Everybody who's afraid, go home. Now, this actually matches up with Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy says, Whenever you go into battle, if there's any man that's afraid, then let them just go home. We don't need them. Now, here's what's interesting is like, technically everybody's afraid when they go into war. But it's that like crippling hopelessness that my. My desire to obey God, my ability to believe that God can give us victory, and my patriotism to do the right thing is completely drowned in my fear. If you don't have fear, you're, you're, there's something wrong with you. But at the same time, if, if, if doing the right thing and trusting God and fighting for other people is drowned out by fear, then that's, that's cowardice. That's cowardice. So what God is really saying to Deuteronomy is, if your fear is greater than your faith in me, then go home. I can use anybody, but I don't use people who have no faith. How many people go home? 22,000 people. Whatever confidence he got and blown that horn, it just went down the drain now. So now God says, bring them down to the water, and I will thin the ranks some more. And you can imagine getting, you're not done. (laughs) We're going to keep doing this? I'm the guy who tested you twice, and now you're doing this to me? When I say this one should go, you pick up and go. And when I say this one should go you, with you, you do not take him. So he brought him down the men down the water. And then Yahweh said to Gideon, Separate those who lap up the water as a dog laps up those who kneel and drink. Three hundred men lap the rest of the men nailed and drink the water. And Yahweh said, Send them home. Now this is really confusing what's going on. In one place, God makes it sound like the people who get down and the people who stay up, but then in the next place, when he actually talks about what actually happens, it seems like he's like completely mixing it up. And it's like, okay, God, like you just totally mixed it up. And the reason is that the Hebrew gets so wordy here that we, it becomes really hard to translate in a literal way. But here's what God is basically doing. What he's saying is this. Everybody who goes to the river and gets down on their knees and scoops their hands in the water and cups it and brings it up to their mouth while they're on their knees, send them home. I don't want them. And everybody who crawls on their belly like a snake and goes to the river and kind of like either laps it up with their tongue, but most likely as they're cupping it to their mouth. And that's where this Hebrew gets confusing is that it sounds like they're both cupping it, but the difference is one is cupping it with their face like right there in the water and the other one's cupping it on their knees. Then keep them. And only 300 people do that. Now, this is like, okay, God, what in the world are you doing here? It's not totally clear of what you're trying to accomplish. Now, when I was growing up, I remember Sunday school teachers, no joke, I had Sunday school teachers at two, I remember two, at different times who basically said that what God is showing is that, you mean, we see people on their belly and we think they're more vulnerable. And battles. And so they said, look, God is saying, like, send the smart people home and the people who are stupid keep them. And God is showing that he can use stupid people because he can do anything. (laughs) I remember being taught that. And as a kid, I was just like, okay. But as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, that's not right. I can totally, I mean, yes, God can use anybody of any intelligence level or any common sense or lack of common sense or but at the same time, the, the whole fear thing makes sense. But the, not, the, but the using stupid people, that doesn't make sense either. I mean, God, God is not favorable on that kind of stuff. And so the reality is that's probably not it. One possibility is this. What's interesting is there's two hills here. and there's a, there's a, there, Well, there's a hill, and there's a river right next to the hill. And the Israelites are camped on the side of the hill that's where the river is. And the Midianites are camped on the other side of the hill where the river is not. And when we went to Israel, one of the things that we noticed was if you crawl up on your belly to the river, the Midianites on the other side can't see you. But if you're on your knees, the hill is small enough that you can see the heads of the people when they're on their knees. And so it could be that the people are actually wanting to keep their heads on their shoulders are the ones that God is keeping. And and you have to understand that crawling your belly is not exactly a sign of stupidity or weakness because some of the greatest marines and warriors in the army crawl on their belly a lot. They're called snipers. And you don't want to go up against a sniper. (laughs) It's one of the first things they teach you in boot camp is how to crawl on your belly. And the reality is this, this is not a mark of intelligence. It could be that. Or the other possibility is it could just be completely random. It could be that God knows that the, 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 the smallest amount of people are the people on their bellies and that's the people he wants. It could be the first one is totally legitimate in Deuteronomy and it could be at this point God is now just trying to get the numbers down and he knows that people do this are going to be fewer because he can see the future and that's the people he wants. And there really is no rhyme or reason to what's special about kneeling or going on their belly. It just has to do with God says I know there are going to be the fewer numbers so it's going to go with? And so he's left with 300. It's interesting that God doesn't force them all to go home. So God is actually compromising with Gideon. And God says, okay, if your faith is not enough to do it by yourself, then, okay, I'll I'll give you some people. God is not going to force you into, like, an exam that you're not ready for when you can't even pass the test. He says, okay, you can have a tutor, so to speak, to do this. I'll give you open notes or whatever. Because what I really want to do with Gideon is not get him down to just completely obey me to the letter of law. What I really want to do with Gideon is for him to see who I really am and what I can do. And if Gideon needs somebody to see that, then fine, I'll let him have his 300 men, and maybe the next time he won't need 300 men. God says, you can have your 300 men, but you can only have 300 men. Because technically in the end, It's as if Gideon is by himself. Because 300 men versus the thousands upon thousands of the Midianites is basically being by yourself. So basically he's giving Gideon a plastic sword that really is going to do nothing, but at least it makes him feel a little bit better to have it in his hand. And this is God's compromise with them. So Gideon has these 300 men. He's lost whatever faith he has left. He tested God twice, and he's like, okay, I see it now. I'm ready to go. And God says, wait, let's whittle your army down. And Gideon's like, oh my gosh, I can't do this now. Did this happen with Othniel? No. The Spirit of Yahweh came upon Othniel, and he went out and defeated the enemy. Notice that when did God give them the Spirit? At the beginning of chapter 6. We're into chapter 7 now most of this Gideon story so far has been God just trying to get Gideon to go out and do something. That should say something. I know when we read this, it's so easy to think like, oh, this is so cool and this is so interesting and that kind of stuff. But what you really should be feeling like is, oh my gosh, can't we just go to the zoo already? I mean, why does it take this long to get your shoes on? And why do you have to go to the bathroom this many times? And like, I just want to get out the door and go to the zoo. Let's go, let's go. We we started leaving at nine and now it's 10 o'clock. Like, Seriously, that's what you should be feeling right now. It shouldn't be interesting and cool to you and like really creative, interesting story. It should be like, oh my goodness, can't we just defeat the Midianites already? It's been an entire chapter and we still have done nothing. That's what you should be feeling. Verse 9 of chapter 7. That night, Yahweh said to Gideon, get up, attack the camp. I am handing him over to you. So God says, "Now it's time for you to go to action, but if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp of Purah, your servant, and with your servant, and listen to what he, they are saying, then you will be a, then, then we'll be brave and attack the camp. So he went. Notice that? God says, "Get up and attack now." But if, that's, if you still can't obey me, then go ahead and go down the camp. And just listen. And when you listen to them, that will give you courage. And I know that you're not going to do it alone, so go ahead and take your servant. That's basically what God is saying. I want you, what I really want you now is to attack right now. But, my goodness, if you need this, then do it. <laughs> so Gideon does it. You really would expect him to say, No, God, I think I've seen enough miracles so far to know I can do this. But he's like, okay. I'll, I'll take the pacifier and the security blanket. So he went down to Pura with his servant, and where the sentries were guarding the camp, and now the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east covered the valley like a swarm of locusts. Now notice that. The swarm of locusts. That is the word used of the Israelites in Egypt. But now it's being used of the enemy in Israelite territory because of their lack of faith. Their camels could not be counted, and they were as innumerable as the sand on the seashore, the phrase that is used of God's promise to Abraham and his descendants. Notice how the narrator is reversing everything and saying, these phrases that are normally used of God's blessings on Israel are now being used of the enemy, and because you know the Torah really well... You should immediately, that should be perking up your ears and you should be thinking, wait a minute, that's not right. That's supposed to be used of the Israelite people of God, not of the enemy. And the narrator's using it to say something's wrong. And what's wrong is that they're not being obedient to God, and so they're not reaping the blessings of God of the Abrahamic covenant. Just like Deuteronomy 27:28 says. said. When Gideon arrived, he heard a man telling another man about a dream he had. And the man said, look, I had a dream. I saw a stale cake of barley bread rolling into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent so hard that it knocked it over and turned it upside down, and the tent just collapsed. The other man said, without a doubt, this symbolizes the sword of Gideon, the son of Josh, and the Israelites. God is handing Midian and all the army over to him. They're like, what? <laughs> Where did you get your dream interpretation? How did you go from stale cake hitting a tent to Gideon defeating the Midianites? <laughs> now listen, the dreams in the ancient world come from the gods. Everybody believed that all dreams came from the gods all the time. You may not understand them always, but they always come to the gods. And they believe that when you're at night, all those visions and stuff are from the gods. And you might get lucky and somebody's around you who can interpret them, like Joseph and Daniel... Or you will get unlucky and you'll just go your entire life with the gods talking to you and you don't understand anything they're saying. But in this case, they kind of figured it out. Because sometimes enough dreams have been interpreted in so many ways that you begin to figure out the symbology and you can kind of do it on your own. But pay attention, why do they figure it out? What do the Midianites do to the, the Israelites every year? Steal their food, their barley, their grain. The Midianites are not associated with grain and barley. The Israelites are. So they automatically see the barley as connected to the Israelites. Just like if you had a vision of a bald eagle swooping down and attacking like something another image, then you would automatically interpret that like, oh, it must be America is going to have victory over something. Because these symbols are ingrained they're not they're not ingrained in our culture and psyche, but it's ingrained in their culture and psyche. And notice how the story began with every year the Midianites and the Amalekites came with their armies and their tents and occupied the Israelite territory and took their grain and then moved away. God has already told you that tents are associated with the Midianites, but tents has never been used of the Israelites in this story. So they're the mil- tents are associated with military. They know that they're the tents, and Israel is the grain, and the grain just clobbered the tents, and that's how they make the connection. And so when Gideon sees that they are afraid of Gideon, then all of a sudden Gideon's courage is back. But here's what's really interesting. When God said, "I will be with you, go defeat the enemy." that was not enough for him. But when Gideon heard the enemy, who does not know God, say we're scared, that was enough for Gideon. Here's the question. A lot of times is our faith based on God's assurance to us or the failure and the fears of the people in the world that we're afraid to face? Do you get your faith to obey God and follow him when you find out that other people out there are more afraid than you are? Or do you have your faith from God because he just simply said, I'm with you? And for Gideon, he had no faith in God. No matter how many times God sent dew and fire and spoke to him. I mean, my goodness, even when God is not doing a miracle, he's verbally speaking to Gideon. Multiple occasions Gideon has heard God verbally speak. God has sent down lightning on an altar. God has changed the dude two mornings in a row. God just put a Holy Spirit upon him that he felt surging through his body. And God says, I'm with you. And Gideon's like, that's not enough. And then he goes over to a bunch of people that he has no idea who they are. He doesn't know what their degree in dream interpretation is. He doesn't know what their rank in the army is. And two guys say that they're afraid and that's enough for Gideon. That's not faith. So far we have seen very little faith from this guy. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the report of the dream and his interpretation, he praised God. Notice he's still using the word Elohim.